Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Ajax delivery. Gendouzi's header. Here's an opportunity. Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. And Goldberg. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. Hello and welcome to Le Beau the official Ligue 1 podcast in English. Coming up this week, Marseille cook up an Olympico win to keep on course for second place. Lance's focus, though, remains sharp as they humble Monaco. And well, no surprise here, two of the very best footballers we're ever likely to see help PSG scrape a win at Angers. Hello, thanks for joining me, Ian Holyman. I'm back. We've got Jeremy Magon and Andy Scott alongside me in a fairly solid looking back three. A similar setup to the one that's got an OM to where they are today, which is in second place in the table, thanks to what Angus Tarot saw at the Group Parma Stadium on Sunday night. Lovely ball over the top, and there's a chance here. Alexis Sanchez saved, surely the roundup. And Sengiz Under has put the away side in front on the stroke of half time. Smash and grab from the men in blue. Feels like the air has literally been sucked out the top of the stadium. All it was, simple ball over the top. Alexis Sanchez wanted to score himself, saved by Lopez, but Sengiz Under, like any good forward, sniffed the chance of a follow-up. And the Turkish international picks up his fourth goal of the season. And Marseille go in front in the Olympico. Markler keeps it in, Thiago Mendes, another ball into the box, and it's out by Kolasinac. Tolisso, another cross, all the way across, and there it is! And there it is! Goal number 300 in his career for club and country for Alexander Lacazette. Also his 20th league and goal of the season. And all those chances missed by Marseille now look pretty expensive. Corotan Tolisso with the ball in. Jordan Veratou didn't really seem to appreciate the danger. And it's the captain that levels. Only Jonathan David of Lille and Kylian Mbappe of Paris Saint-Germain have scored more goals than him this season. But that's not why Laurent Blois is cheering. Issa Kabore, space. Oh, it's gone all the way across. Oh, it's in! Oh, my goodness! A sucker punch to Lyon's European ambitions. Marseille steal it with three seconds left. The heroics of Anthony Lopez will count for nothing in the end. Well, if ever a game summed up Lyon's season. Oh, my word. Kabore given too much. Le Pen on through, it's an own goal. Well, it's Diamonde who kicks it against the player who's only just come back from a hamstring injury. He knew nothing about it. Lopez absolutely flat-footed. The final whistle has gone, and Igor Tudor's men have stolen the victory right at the death. Well, chaps, I've got a lot of questions after Marseille's first win at Lyon since uh, 2007, which would have actually been back in the uh, beautiful and very much city centre-based Lyon uh, stadium planners. Are you listening? 
Stade de Gerland. Lots of questions. Has anyone seen Laurent Blanc without a cap since he retired from playing? Do he and Jean-Louis Gasset share one? That's a whole podcast in itself. Ryan Shirky, I'm suffering slightly. Very dizzied by his stepovers. Anyone else? Not many of the Marseille players, to be fair. Most importantly, though, what was Malo Gusto thinking with that hairstyle? Um, I'd like all of those answered, please. But today's panel, unlikely to help out, particularly on the hairstyle one, uh, as as you'll be able to as you'll be able to see. But Jeremy, from memory, you're a Marseille fan. You must be feeling pretty good. And and to be fair, and to be fair, and it's a point that Thierry Henry made on French TV last night. Marseille deserved that win. It's been a while, right, since we heard Marseille deserved that win. Thanks for. Uh... For having me here, Ian, uh, and and I'll try not to be offended by the hair comments. Uh, I wish I could do my hair like uh, like Malo Gusto was was able to uh, last night. Look, it was a uh, it was I'm not going to say an overly entertaining game, but definitely definitely an entertaining second half um, end to end stuff with uh, with the teams, I guess, getting out of that observation round that ended with uh, with Marseille scoring the first goal, uh, and I think Marseille should have scored you know two, three, four probably by the time. Um, Lacazette got his uh, Ibrahimovic-esque um, equalizer, that, that nice little uh, flying kick in, in the far post that brought a lot of trauma, PTSD uh, for all Marseille fans. But but I think it's um, Lyon, again, being such in, uh, an inconsistent team. Every time we think that they're finally finding their, their football again, that they can trust the youth. And we're seeing, you mentioned Cherki, we're seeing Bacola and other players coming back or they, they, they just get beaten back Unlucky for them, it was probably Marseille's best game of the past two, three months. Uh, for once, goals have come not from set pieces uh, and, and they had more opportunity than they needed. Uh, so, so yeah, look, eventually it was, uh, um, I guess, uh, fitting that the, the game started with a, an homage to Bocuse and ended up with an own goal by Gusto, which will be, uh, which will be hard for, for the young fans. Yeah, the, 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 the irony, it was uh, last night, just to explain, there was a tribute to the, to the famous Lyon chef, Paul Bocuse, uh, who died in 2018. Why last night, five years after his death? Not entirely sure, but um, the, he's, his name is, is still on a number of restaurants around Lyon and, and around the world, which is the, the gastronomic capital of, of France, which is, which is pretty much saying it's the gastronomic capital of, of the world. Um, and gusto, obviously, for those uh, language uh, of, a, of a language persuasion uh, to do with taste, and, and malo gusto would be a bad taste. Um, 300th career goal involvement for Alexandre Lacazette. It was it was uh, Ibra esque that sort of back heel. Um, the reason that Marseille didn't score though was Anthony Lopez was was fantastic. But you mentioned uh, Cherki, you mentioned uh, Barcola. Now these are the players of the future of, of Lyon, and I thought there was a very interesting interview with John Textor who is the, the new owner uh, of, of Leon? Special meeting today of all the, of all the, the, the heads of, of this group who, who, who now own Leon, along with Jean-Michel Olas, the longtime Leon president, who, who basically made Leon the club that they were in the first decade of the millennium, dominated French football, probably should have done a lot better in, in Europe as well. And Textor, speaking to, 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 to Thierry Henry, um, Henry asked him, why Leon? I mean, why buy Leon? And he went on about the history and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and he said, we were champions once. We now want to get back to that. But Andy, there, there's a few shoots of, a shoots of recovery 
but you know they're they're a long they're a long long way aren't they from from that team that that we all remember that featured people like Maluda like like Abidal like Michael Essien like Mohamedou Diar I mean the list goes on and on and on Karim Benzema just uh, Janino mm. uh, shall I shall I continue sure go ahead <laughs> uh, Claudio Casapa, Chris, no, I'm, uh, uh, Anthony Reveillere. Yeah. Uh, listen, I mean, sometimes I wonder if I've brought Leon bad luck because I, I remember I moved to France um, 15 years ago. It was May 2008 that I arrived in this in this great country, and the night I I moved here, um, I'd given myself basically two days to find a place to live before starting. Uh, work alongside you, you know, at, at Eurosport, and um, I rocked up and I, I booked myself into a little hotel up in the 18th arrondissement in Paris. Um, and and there was a game on TV. It was the Coupe de France final. It was Lyon against Paris Saint Germain. And that night, they they won the cup. I think it was an extra time. They beat PSG, and therefore they won the double. And that was at the end of their great run, of course, of seven consecutive league titles. They've not won it since. So maybe. Maybe somehow my arrival in this country has sort of upset things to such an extent that Leon can't really win anything anymore. But um, <laughs> possibly, who knows? But anyway, I, I think I think I mean I've said this quite a lot on this podcast that you know Leon are um, yeah they're a long way from where they want to be, um, and they they have a problem because of course I mean we mentioned Malo, Malo Gusto scoring the own goal last night Malo Gusto who will be at Chelsea next season I don't, I don't know what he thinks about that now but uh, he's on his way to Chelsea he's not going to be staying with Lyon and of course if they can't get themselves into European competition at all and let's be honest even finishing fifth which you know looks unlikely this morning they would they, they, they're six points behind fifth place now uh, after this, this weekend's results it's a big ask for them uh, but even finishing fifth probably wouldn't change things that much. They they may need to sell one or two big players in 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 the summer, and of course, Ryan Sherkey would fall into that category. So there's an exciting young player who who they may not be able to keep hold of, and that is is the thing with Leon is that they've fallen into you know kind of this this spiral that 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 is the case for so many clubs in France that they bring through these fine young players. They can only keep them. For a couple of years and then off they go and and therefore how on earth do you then keep the players long enough to have a good enough team to be able to compete at the top so listen they're, they're a long way away from um, where they want to be just now and, and I think that's really worrying because we don't really know how things are going to work out with the new ownership and as I've said before in this podcast there are a number of other clubs in France who are well run who are doing things the right way off the pitch as well as on the pitch, and we'll talk about some of them later. And therefore, Lyon, of course, are playing catch-up, and um, you have this situation now where they're going to very possibly, very probably, miss out on European football again next season. And they become this 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 fading force, this you know borderline irrelevance in European terms. And that's not where Lyon were supposed to be. I mean, Lyon as a city is kind of in that heart of Europe. You know, it's it's a really affluent, beautiful place. Um, it's got everything going for it that would suggest that they could have like a major football club with uh, with the right backing you know they're in a terrific position to everything is set up for them to be to be a leading football club in France and in Europe and of course it's only a couple of years since they were you know featuring in the top 20 of the of the Deloitte football money league this kind of references to who the, the the richest football clubs in in Europe are they've kind of fallen out of that and and they've you know they've fallen behind their rivals domestically and even further behind 
the competition in Europe. And it's a shame because they are, as I said, they're a potentially great club and, and, and they could be a great team. But the possibly the saving grace is that that youth academy still does keep churning out a ridiculous number of of, of high quality players. One of them being uh, being being Malo Gusto. Slightly more concerning for me was an article that I read about this weekend about Marseille kind of pretty much ditching their youth development um, uh, from from the grassroots level. But at least in in the first team first team terms, they're doing pretty well. Second again. Uh, after after Lens's uh, performance on on Saturday, more of that later. Marseille, a point clear of Lens in second place, eight points adrift of Paris Saint Germain. Maybe that's uh, not 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 quite so quite so important, given that the uh, we're looking at the, really the top two finish for Marseille to get into the Champions League group stage automatically next season, and of course the riches that 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 brings. But I thought it was another interesting comment, Jeremy, by by Thierry Henry yesterday that he said. To Igor Tudor in the, in the post match interview, which uh, which happily was in English uh, for all those anglophones living in France, Lens are probably the best connected team in Ligue 1, but you guys, i.e. Marseille, are not far behind, and and I think that really showed yesterday. I thought Jonathan Close, um, who Tudor admitted, and I, I thought was a little little bit surprised that this came out, but it's really basically what we we've all kind of kind of thought we knew that Close was really disappointed to have lost his place in the France squad to not be going to the World Cup but he played brilliantly last night he was he was he was superb he wasn't moved to the left uh, Issa Kabore kind of got shifted over from right 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 to left who's who's on loan from from Manchester City Close was was fantastic although he did drift over the left he was he was pretty much all over the place um Chengizunda as well denied by a couple of really really good saves from from Anthony Lopez as we've mentioned you look at this Marseille side Apart from their home form, which is which is a little bit which is a little bit shaky, uh, Jeremy, a point again Henri made that maybe it's not so much about the intimidation, uh, not so much about the inspiration that the opponents draw from the velodrome, but more about Marseille not really being able to take control of a game and being much better on the counter attack, and and that really was a was a was a case brought out last in in last night's performance, and and is that a little bit of a concern? For the for the six games remaining, I think it is a concern. I think you're right. What you're bringing up with with Jonathan Klos, he was at the forefront of the success of Marseille early on. He got eight assists in the first fifteen games or something like that with Marseille. So he was very important in the creative output that Marseille was was displaying. And since he kind of fell out of form after the World Cup, uh, they, they've really been missing that. They've tried to bring it with Malinowski, uh, who, who's Again, inconsistent. Tenji Zunder, who was very good at creative, creating opportunity for his own self, but not necessarily uh, in, a, in a team environment. Uh, and then they are just trying to really rely almost too much on the oldest player on the pitch who runs more than anybody else, uh, Alexis Sanchez. So, so I think the, the creativity for Marseille has always been the issue uh, since the World Cup. And they try to sort of like hide it behind this high intensity, high tempo, high pressure football that Tudor loves but when you play at home and teams are I'm not saying that every team is parking the bus at Marseille because that's not necessarily true but when they are when they start to know how Marseille plays and they start to study the cases and they see that well you can let them play handball style and just pass the ball around the box for 45 minutes and nothing's going to happen to you uh, well they're, they're happily sitting down and, and letting Marseille does that so I agree with what Thierry Henry says with the fact that Marseille can be the best connected team behind Lens. I don't think they have anything on Lance's creativity, though. I think Lance has 
many more outputs to be able to get into the box. Uh, like if anything, maybe the most imp- the most threatening Marseille player offensively all season has been Chancel Mbemba because when he comes up, he actually creates issues and he creates like a, enough balance into the other defense by bringing the numbers. And, and now he's not playing anymore for, for a reason that um, we, we don't really know uh, why actually. So I think Marseille is trying to come into grasp with this and Tudor has, has made up for the lack of creativity of his number 10s and, and forwards by bringing numbers and, and using the width. But when Nuno Tavares was being Nuno Tavares, Cabore is a bit young and close. isn't playing at the technical uh, technical ability that you know him. I mean, his last assist is what that that beautiful assist on Unahi against Nantes, uh, but back in February, and he was at the very very tail end of of a football game. So, fortunately, he's coming back at the right time, and I think they're also pretty lucky that they faced Trois at home last week, which we know the the issues that Trois are having. They're facing Auxerre this weekend. It's not going to be easy. Uh, they'll probably you know perform better in Lens against uh, Lens in their Stade Bollard, which is going to be amazing on that game the, the following week, then they are going to at home against Auxerre. So hopefully Tudor, uh, you know, he looks like he's a smart coach and he knows what he's doing. So hopefully he learns from what he sees and from what isn't working and he's trying to find ways to to change it. Um, we we need to see them being a bit more creative and a bit more threatening offensively for sure. Yeah, that, that uh, week 34, the round 34 game, the 6th of May, Lens against Marseille. Uh, Lance's magnificent home record, Marseille's fabulous away record. I think that probably does do uh, Marseille some favours, but that is that is going to be a game to watch. Although I think there's an interesting caveat that uh, Lance, because of next week's Coupe de France final, don't play their league game next week until Tuesday before that game on the Saturday, whereas Marseille will have played on the Sunday. So Marseille will have 48 hours more rest ahead of that game against Lens. Uh, elsewhere, a, a quick result to bring you, one that will put a, a little bit of a smile on the face of uh, pod regular Angus Angus Tarod, no doubt celebrating as, as he heads around his local supermarket. Also at one, Lille won. Uh, Lille missing out again on the uh, opportunity to take advantage of slips uh, of teams around them. Also now unbeaten in four, and in 14th place, but just still one point clear of the drop. So Angus not quite relaxing uh, all that much as yet. Uh, speaking of slips around them, Ren beaten by Montpellier. It was uh, it was interesting to hear Bruno Genesio saying the results or the performance was not worthy of a team that wants to qualify for Europe, which I think is appropriate because Ren look very much like a team that don't want to qualify for Europe uh, right now. Um, losing to a Montpellier side, getting back to winning ways. Rennes have lost nine league and games since the World Cup, uh, post-World Cup. Only three teams have done worse than that. And those are Trois, Ajaxio and inevitably Angers. Teji Savanier getting his 10th red card uh, since his, uh, sorry, his seventh red card since his debut in the top flight in, in 2018. Three reds this season. Uh, I don't know if you saw the challenge, gentlemen, but like Malagusta, what on earth was he thinking? Mavadidi with his 25th Ligue 1 goal, only Glenn Hoddle as an Englishman has scored more in the French top flight. Speaking of goals, Habib Diallo, I've made this point again and again and again and again. Marseille, buy Habib Diallo. Buy Habib Diallo, okay? If you want a striker, there you go. 17 goals this season for Strasbourg. What more do you want? Four in his last four. Um... It's linked up superbly with uh, with with Diara 
uh, yesterday Odiaro linked up superbly with him. I think there's probably probably the way the better way around. Pretty pretty easy finishes for Diallo. Three wins and five for for Antonetti's side. Uh, only out of the drop on goal difference though. It's incre- It's tight at the top, but it's incredibly tight at the bottom. That is that is a, a quite a race with uh, still nobody down, which is which is quite remarkable. Angers could have gone down this weekend. But uh, results kind of went for them. Reims three defeats in their last five. Um, their European dream is fading. European dream very, very much alive though in northern France, and it's not Lille. It's their uh, noisy little neighbours, as they may well put it. Loss just down the road, who are really, really impressing. And on Saturday, I think even Andy Scott was impressed by their performance against Monaco. Sopenda enjoying his debut season in Ligue 1. Particularly good form in uh, recent matches, uh, Luis Sopenda. Maripan plays it back to Nurbel. It's been a bit wobbly at times this season, Alexander Nurbel and the pressure paying off perhaps for loss. That ball stopped on the line but turned in by Openda in the second attempt. It's a dream start to the game for Los. And a defensive nightmare for Monaco. That is uh, how to apply pressing to uh, an opposition defence. Los forcing the mistake from Vanderson. Machado. The ball ricocheting off him into the path of Openda. His first attempt was kept out by a combination of Nurbel and Maripan, but he was in the right place to turn in the follow-up. Belgian gets the goal, the Belgian who played under the Monaco coach Philippe Clement at Club Brugge earlier in his career makes it loss one Monaco nil. Machado, Machado striding forward, terrific run again from the Colombian, the ball across goal, turned in by Openda, there is no doubt about that one whatsoever. Brilliant play from loss again. Another Machado assist, and if uh, there was a touch of fortune about the first one. Well, that was all of his own making. David Machado with a tremendous run down the near side. And Openda, it was laid on a plate for him, but it was still an emphatic finish from the Belgian. It is a dream start to this game for Lens. They're 2-0 up and they thoroughly deserve it. It's a great ball fed through. For Openda, who's got goal side in Maripan and cuts it back for Thomason. Well, Luis Openda could have tried to finish it off himself. He is on a hat trick after all, but it was unselfish play to set up the goal for Adrian Thomason. Uh, his celebrations were cut short by the offside flag a few minutes ago, but that one will stand and Lens are 3 0 up now. Philippe Clement's team heading for a damaging defeat and a potentially decisive one in the race for Champions League qualification and talking about a race, Openda won the foot race with Maripan and he got away from the Monaco defender with ease and it was an easy finish for Adrian Thomason what a performance from Luis Openda, two goals now an assist Lost look like they're out of sight here it could be some uh, fantastic nights in this stadium next season in the Champions League at this rate. They're on course for a return to the big time. So Loss doing uh, 
almost what Newcastle did to to Spurs yesterday and getting off the on a very, very quick footing. And he two up inside 16 minutes. Luis Appenda, 14th home win this season, the best home record in the top five leagues around uh, around Europe. Franquez says that was the best performance of the season. Just how good were they? Yeah, that's probably a fair assessment. They were brilliant. Um, absolutely superb. Everything everything that we talked about lost in terms of raving about them, the, the you know, the passion, the intensity, the crowd, uh, it was all there, you know. And um, and Sikko Fofana said after the game, he said that, well, we managed to play with such intensity against PSG when down to 10 men that it kind of helped us, that it made us realise that, well, Listen, when we have 11 players on the field, we can do pretty much anything. And they just came flying out of the blocks and, and were far too good for Monaco, who were very poor, I have to say. Um, really disappointing from them, but, you know, give give credit to Lost. They're a good side, you know, they're, they're well-managed. Um, they've got hungry players who, you know, guys who haven't maybe necessarily achieved what they'd hoped to achieve previously in their careers or... Younger players coming up, like Kevin Danzo, like Luis Openda, um, and, and it's fantastic. And I think that that result, you know, probably or certainly very possibly now means that Lons are probably going to finish in the top three and, and Monaco are probably not. Uh, so a very, very big weekend. And, and I think, you know, we might have feared a little bit for Lons on the back of that defeat against PSG. Might this season have kind of come off the rails a little bit, but... It's not happening, and and I think it's great because they absolutely deserve to be where they are. Um, I think the last time we was on, we kind of talked about the the dangers for loss of finishing in third place and having to enter the the Champions League in the qualifying rounds. There is there is one kind of ray of light there for them, which is that we have to remember, as has happened a couple of times in recent seasons, that the team finishing in third place in Ligue 1 could actually qualify directly for the Champions League group stage. It depends on who wins the Europa League now. Manchester United going out of the Europa League um, to Sevilla on Thursday in that sense is a setback because if if the team that wins the Europa League qualifies for the Champions League via their domestic league, then the position in the Champions League for the Europa League winner will come to the team finishing third in league out. So, for example, if Juventus win the Europa League, which could happen, and finish in the top four in Serie A, which could happen, then maybe the team finishing in third will will get into the Champions League group stage and, and, and that might well be lost. The, the lost Marseille game coming up in a couple of weeks, as, as you touched on, is is enormous. But as good as Marseille are away from home, the reality is that Lons have nothing to fear from anybody in their own stadium. And I mean literally anybody. And I mean, you know, right now you think about next season, if they're in the Champions League, anybody coming to that stadium. I mean, it would be great, wouldn't it, if if there's Champions League nights in that stadium. And I think it's such an interesting story, Loss, because Monaco, okay, you know, it's glamorous. It's it's this it's this, you know, um glitzy place down in the Mediterranean. It's it's kind of got everything going for it in terms of being a club that should be in the Champions League with the exception of the of the lack of crowds at the Stade Louis II. Loss is this club, you know, built out of the the coal mines uh, that that what made that that town and that region um, what it was, and of course since then it's fallen on harder times with the closure of the mines. It's the only um, town or city to have a league on club that voted um, for Marine Le Pen in the in the presidential elections last year, which 
without sort of going into the kind of reasons for that, it is it is interesting. I think it does tell you something about um, the makeup of 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 the town and and what's going on there. And so for them to be producing such a successful football club is is a fabulous story. And where you think where they come from, they spent nine seasons uh, in the second division between two thousand and nine and twenty twenty. Since then, under Franquez, they they they've not just established themselves in Ligue 1. They are now one of the best teams and probably the best run club in the whole country. So, uh, fantastic, really, really, really fantastic. And and yeah, I think now we can that result for me would suggest that they are they're going to do it. They're going to finish in the top three. Yeah, let's not forget that 1998 champions uh, of France lost as well. I think uh, my friend uh, Vladimir Schmitzer. Uh, was 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 around the club at, at that time, but uh, Lens it does now look like a, a, well, a, a, is it a three horse race? It's probably a two horse race for the for, for second place, uh, with uh, Lens five points clear of of Monaco now. Lens in third, a point behind behind Marseille. Um, you talked about well run club, and and this is this isn't. I think this is uh, an interesting point that now now that Florence Josolfi went off to 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 Nice. To be their new sporting director, basically everything is in the hands of Franck Ez. He's almost like an old school English manager, uh, the style of, of Sir Alex Ferguson or Arsene Wenger, who, who literally controlled everything. I read in I read in the keep that he's also he's currently negotiating the contract of Sarah and Barak. She's the lost women's coach. I mean, he's he's really very much in charge he's doing a fantastic job he's got a, he's got a history of, of of youth development from from a number of clubs uh, around france but one thing stood out to me in this interview when he when he talked about about Gisolfi leaving and going to nice he said he fully understood the reasons for his departure which i assume were financial but of, of course there's also a certain a certain uh, future perspective of Nice with the investment of any Ineos, et cetera, being a, a, a real force in French football. It also kind of rang alarm bells in my head for somebody who's kind of sympathetic to, towards Lens because, well, if Gisolfi can go to Nice, so can Franquez. And Nice, Nice are looking for a coach. And, and I think that we talked a little bit about the, the Champions League and would they have to strengthen? And I think when you look at a side, they've put seven goals past Monaco this season. Seven. Now, we'd, we'd, we'd have Monaco in the Champions League and probably say, ah, they don't really need to strengthen all that much. Because it's Lens, we kind of think that they need to strengthen, but put seven goals past Monaco this season. They fully deserve to be there. They've got the quality. Perhaps the squad doesn't need that much uh, of a facelift. But if Franck is left, if Franck is left, then that would, be, that would be a major concern, wouldn't it, Andy? Yeah, yeah, of course it would. I mean, this, but again, this is what happens to 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 you know these clubs. I mean, you think back to when to when Lille won the league in 2011, and then and then the breakup of the team effectively began straight away. Um, and by the following year, they lost Eden Hazard, and, and it it all kind of come apart. And that's just that's unfortunately that's the lot of clubs of that level. I mean, in 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 France, PSG can win the league and and strengthen. Um, I would argue that Marseille. When they get into the Champions League, they're talking about strengthening. They're not necessarily going to be a weaker team the next season, even if they have to make changes to the squad to sell a couple of players here and there. Um, and even in the case of Monaco, you know, Monaco, if they do get into the Champions League, well, they might sell Axel Dizassi, for example, but they will look to strengthen. They'll spend money. Um, but for a club like Lens, you know, the achievement is getting into the Champions League. And 
there's probably no real expectation that after that they're going to do something in the Champions League. Um, it's it's about being there. It's about building, sort of getting the money from that and using the experience to 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 become stronger again. But as you say, the the danger is that if if they don't have the same manager, they're not going to be the same the same team, especially when he has such wide ranging powers. That that is the danger, by the way. I think sometimes. People where I come from in Scotland, they they still have this idea of a manager being the guy who runs everything. They say, why is he not signing the players? You know what? But it's, to me, it's very obvious why. Because ultimately, the, the manager frequently gets sacked. I mean, every if if you change the manager every year, and every time the manager comes in, he wants to sign ten or twelve players, then that only is going to create, you know, disorder effectively. So it's good to have a a, a, a system in place where there are people who are permanently there as long as they're competent who are signing the players who appoint the coach if if with the case of Frank Hayes not only is he he's the general manager so as you say if he is negotiating the contracts of the women's coach and everything else then then the void that you leave that he leaves if he does indeed go is going to be utterly enormous and and it would be uh, problematic but i suppose one thing you could say is that even if he did leave um the club is in a, a very good place to you know, remain a force in league, and they might they might not find it easy to be where they are now, but he's the foundations have been laid by Ayres and by the other people at the club to maintain them as 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 some kind of force in French football, and and the expectation would be that they don't fall in hard times like they did ten fifteen years ago, and that is is a big achievement for them because they were a bit of a mess. So, um, but we're not there yet. I mean, I mean, let's see if Franquez would would go to Nice. I don't know. I don't know if that would be. You know, would he leave Lens before they've played in the Champions League? Nice are not going to be in Europe at all. I'd like to think that he would he would stick around. I mean, we don't know yet if they're going to be in the Champions League. I'd like to think that he would stick around a little bit longer and, and, and really see that out. But we'll see. Lens in third then, 66 points, five clear of Monaco. So looking pretty good to at least be in that, uh, in that, that tricky hurdle potentially of of the third qualifying round in the playoff that Monaco have fallen at in the last couple of seasons. Monaco though in fourth and still looking pretty good uh, with with Lille's result five points clear of Lille. So Philippe Clement who was uh, rather undone by Lois Appender, a player who he didn't really put his faith in at, at Club Bruges. Uh, the ironies of, uh, of ironies uh, striking striking again uh, for the Monaco coach but uh, still on course for Europa League qualification for next season. Talking of Nice, beaten at home Didier Digard's side. Three successive defeats now, winless in seven, knocked out of the Conference League France's last uh, representatives on, on the European stage. Nice not won any of their last five league and home games. Didier Digard said after the game that you can't throw everything out, i.e. not everything was uh, was bad. I, I would suggest that maybe because they don't have a bin quite big enough at the Allianz Riviera uh, to to get rid of, of what's what's required. Gaetan Laborde, I think they, they should be keeping him. Uh, 100 Ligue 1 goal involvements for him now after after he got on the target in, in, that, uh, in that defeat. But Nice, 65 million to recruit in the summer, which I thought doesn't sound a huge amount when your owner is uh, potentially going to pay billions to, to to buy Manchester United. But still, um, lots of people heading out. Nicola Pepe, Ross Barkley, Joe Bryan, Casper um, Schmeichel as well, which I, which he's played pretty well in recent weeks. But I don't think Martin Bulker would be uh, would be too unhappy. And I, I don't think the Nice fans would be too unhappy as well to see the back of Schmeichel and, and, and Bulker to come in because Bulker certainly impressed me when he's, uh, when he's been between the posts 
But uh, Turan may be leaving, Tadebo may be leaving, Hisham Badawi may be leaving. They, they seem to have the, 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 the wherewithal financially to keep these, keep these teams, but uh, keep these players, sorry. But Jeremy, do you, do you see Nice, these players like Kefran Turan, now a France international, Jean-Claude Tadebo, the same. Um, they've got Buonani as well, a very good, good young player who, who, for my money, is certainly doing a lot better than Ryan Shirky. Uh, right now, in certain terms of um, goals and 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 goal and and, and assists, goals and goal involvement, are these players going to get a little bit impatient? Because as Andy said, Nice are now down in tenth place. They got overtaken by Clermont at, at the weekend. They're not going to be in Europe next season. Are these players going to get a little impatient? They're in their early early to mid twenties. Nice, this Nice project is is going to take a certain amount of time. It has taken some times already, and it looks like it will take. A bit longer. Ineos has been at the head for for a while now, and it looks like every year they're trying to find the right formula. And and it was the famous coach. It was the best French coach. Now it was the uh, former darling of the city, and and it's all not worked out quite well. And then they get DJ Jigar, and his the team has been talked up a lot, and and you know rightfully so. They were performing well, but now all of a sudden, when uh, times are a bit harder, they're struggling to bounce back. I, I think those players will rightfully be impatient because they're going to see the offers coming. Todibo and Turam have been, when they're good, some of the best players that we have in the league. So you you would think that there are clubs, hopefully for them, I like to, I'd like them to go to like Bundesliga because French players seem to really succeed right there, right now, and not go straight away to the Premier League, which might be uh, too high a jump. But you would think that they are going to have a lot of offers, at least those two players, everyone else, um, you know, some players, if they leave, like Schmeichel and Barclay, and um, maybe it's not a, much of a big deal for for the French Riviera. Uh, but they they need to try and find they need to try and find what the idea is because since Ineos came in, we we don't know exactly what the plan is. We don't know if we're trying to get youth people, young people, to resell them later. We don't know if we're trying to create a team based on you know the youth development of the actual city because there's a lot of good young players in the southeast. So they need to find what the plan is and kind of try and stick to it, but they need to get the results. If if they had reached Europe at the end of the year, maybe you keep those players. Maybe you have a motivation for them to stay. And when Diga took over and had all those great results, it looked like something was going on and all of a sudden a couple of defeats and we hear talk of the local room was never that great anyway and blah, 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 blah. And of course, everything that happened last year with Galche now all of a sudden comes back in and, and supposedly owns the locker room once again saying that, well, maybe the coach was an issue, maybe the players were an issue as well. So it just looks again that it's a club that every other week seems to make progress, but it's one step forward, two steps back. I think the, the one the one huge positive in Nice right now, and we mentioned it just before, is Florent Gisolfi. He, he obviously has some sort of a recipe in there because what he did in last worked really well. He knows how to surround himself with good managers, scouts, players, and find the right people to come and do his club. So hopefully they finally put the power into the hands of somebody who has a plan. Uh, and from there, Nice will be able to move forward. I think he won't be too unhappy if he loses all those great players because he'll be able to build something else. I'd just like to take my hat off uh, as as well, just on, on the other side to, to Pascal Gastien. Uh, a one-year contract extension for him through the 2024. Clermont, ninth, potentially a top half of table finish. Just tremendous. That's that's a, a tremendous bit of work. Toulouse as well, looking to try and squeeze into the to the top half. Zakaria Abouklal with the only goal 
against Lorient. Now Toulouse just behind Lorient. Uh, Toulouse in 12th, Lorient in 11th, Nice in, in 10th, as I mentioned. Great result for Philippe Montagnier and his side ahead of the uh, Coupe de France final next week against Nantes. More of that in a, in a little bit uh, later with uh, Andy, who's going to be at the Stade de France as well, as 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 will I at, uh, on, on Saturday. Uh, Toulouse, seven defeats in the last 10, so that was a, a big one for them. Speaking of the Coupe de France, Nantes, the holders also back in the final, of course. They got a draw at the weekend. 2-2 against uh, Troyes. Wilson Odebert scored in the 93rd minute to put Troyes 2-1 up. But Patrick Kisnobo denied what would have been a very, very, very welcome win by Evan Gesson six minutes into added time. But I thought what was most interesting about this game is that the referee, Jeremy Pignard, came out after the match and explained why that Nantes goal was given. Because basically, to just create the scenario, a long throw, I think, came in. Mustafa Mohamed, the Nantes forward, jumped for it. It missed his head, but it struck him on the bicep, quite high up the arm. It then dropped down. Evan Gesson puts it in. Jeremy Pignard, on the pitch, said, initially, I thought it was handball. But then VAR told him, well, you might want to look at it again. And he explained that if the ball hits where the sleeve of the shirt ends on the arm, then that isn't handball. It was so high up the arm. It, they, were, they were talking about the armpits. First time I've ever heard that word on a French football commentary. Talking about the armpit. And that's, if it hits up towards the armpit, it's not handball. Now, you can debate this or, or not. Um, and, and, and potentially, yes, if, if everybody's wearing long sleeved shirts, uh, it's, it's never going to be handball. I, I assume, I assume that they've taken that into account, but I thought what was interesting was that the referee just came out and explained it. And I think that that helps a lot. Well, it's, it, it certainly, I certainly found it interesting and, and hopefully that's something we're going to see, see more of Andy. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because French referees have been kind of in the firing line in the last few days. I mean, Clément Turpin didn't have a, a great night, according to a lot of people watching the, the Bayern Munich-Manchester uh, City Champions League game last week because he gave two penalties um, for, you know, handballs that are very debatable, shall we say, and, and it just brings, you know, to the brings to the fore the, the confusion over the over the handball law. I mean, that's, that is one aspect of it that you mentioned, this idea that there is there is actually a cutoff point, as it were, uh, up the top of the arm where it's where it's not handball. Um, you know, you've got the the issue of making your body un, un, unnaturally bigger, which causes so much confusion as well. Of course, I mean the two penalties in that game in Munich, where you know there are very very strong arguments to say they should not have been penalties, and of course you you being a real st for the the laws if you say they should be. So the handball law. Um, is problematic in football. I think something needs to be done about it. Uh, um, and it is, in the meantime, it's helpful if, if referees can come out and, and explain their reasoning because, because precisely because there's a lot of confusion. I mean, I mean, I say this even as somebody who's a who's a football commentator who watches, you know, hundreds of games a season. Um, I have doubts a lot of the time, and and you think, well, you 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 might want to call something as as a as a clear penalty. Then you think, well. The referee, but if he he's, he might not give this, and then you end up looking a bit silly, even though you're convinced it's going to be a penalty, and so you kind of end up having to sit on the fence. Now that 
that's not great because, I mean, sometimes my wife will say to me, it, she sort of asked me a question about, you know, that should be a penalty, shouldn't it? And sometimes I just don't know what to say anymore, you know? And I think that's, that is a problem because seasoned football watchers, whether you're just a supporter, whether you work in it, whether you're a player, you, you kind of think that you might know the laws or you think that you should know the laws and, and you should. But sometimes it turns out that actually you don't. And, and that applies not just to handball. There are lots of other aspects uh, to the game. And as I say, the players themselves sometimes don't understand um, and I think more than anything, the supporters need to uh, explain to me. I mean, if that had happened at the other end in that game yesterday in Nantes, if the goal had been given to Trois, then then there would have been a a, a very very um, unhappy crowd on on the back of the referee, and maybe Trois will say that you know had it been had it been other way around, the goal probably would have been disallowed. I, I don't know, but it, it, you know it's it's um it's it's refreshing to see that and it helps the supporters understand it. it helps all of us understand it and and that's good so more of that and in the meantime at some point down the line clarifications need to be made to the handball in general i think i think uh, nonce certainly benefited shall we say from from a, a a fairly liberal interpretation of the handball rule from uh from from uh, mr pinar's var assistance but I think probably what is what is what should be of real concern to them is their position in the league table uh, right now. You've got you've got Brest who drew with Ajaxio, goalless draw between in what was a relegation very much a, it was a relegation nine pointer I suppose for Ajaxio because they're in real trouble. Second from bottom of the table on twenty two points. Trois now on twenty two. They're on third from bottom, but it's the real logjam just above them. It's basically the the race. Is is there a race to not finish in the <laughs> fourth? Relegation spot. Brest currently occupy that on thirty-two points. They're they're at, they're behind Nantes on goal difference, who are behind Strasbourg on goal difference, and then Auxerre a point better off. I mean, it's a, it's a four it's a four way race basically for that that fourth relegation place. If we're assuming that the bottom three, which you've got to think they're pretty much down already, even if not mathematically, um, it's going to be it's going to be a very 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 nail biting end to the season for those fans uh, down there. I have to say my money actually might be on Nantes, particularly if they lose the Coupe de France final. I don't want to see them go down, but Brest unbeaten in five now. They've got a bit of momentum. Um, Strasbourg have very, very much got momentum under under Antonetti. Auxerre have, have got Angus supporting them, so um, they, they, they've got his energy. But Nantes, they just, they just seem to be going the wrong way in the table at, at the wrong time. Andy? Well, I was just going to say, I'd be interested to hear from any Nantes fans, actually, uh, about what they think about, you know, would would you rather win the Cup again and get relegated, or would you rather, especially given that they won the Cup last season, would you rather lose the Cup final now and make sure you don't get relegated? Because on the one hand, being relegated you know, could have disastrous consequences for a club like Nantes. I mean, they went down... Um, a couple of times in, in the early parts of, of this century and, and they struggle to come back from that. On the other hand, it's they're not often going to get the chance to win the Coupe de France two years in a row. Um, so maybe maybe that's more important to their supporters than what division they're in next season. So I'd be interested to hear what, what they have to say. Yeah, they've got that, that Coupe de France final coming up on, on Saturday. Should be should be a pretty decent game as well. Uh, Toulouse actually for my money one of the most underrated teams in terms of entertainment in in Ligue 1 this season Tice Dalling I re- really like him Branko van den Bowman as well apart from just having a fabulous name um, is, is is a very 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 good footballer 
Um, and Philip Montagnier comes from the, the town in which I live in Normandy. So there's uh, there's there's all sorts of reasons to 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 like to lose Nantes as well. Great fan base. Um, they've got definitely my favourite banner in the whole of football, which unfortunately I cannot really explain on this podcast because it, it re- would require a parental advisory. But um, Jeremy, how do you see how do you see that final going at the Stade de France on Saturday? Nantes against Toulouse. Two different football styles opposing each other, right? I think Nantes under Comboire have been known to be uh, very solid defensively and, and able to uh, to explode in counter-attack. And in front of them, it's going to be a, a, a very football-playing uh, Montagnier coach. Toulouse, as Montagnier does always with each team that he, that he um, coaches, but with Toulouse ever since they came back to Liga, um, they have shown, you know, the, the youth, the talent. You mentioned Franco van der Bommen. Uh, they have a little bit of a... Uh, of a nice little Dutch, um, Dutch and Belgium sort of squad in in that team that is working very well for them with the the Jagere. I'm going to say it the right way. Uh, and Spearings and uh, Abuhlalo used to be at AZ before. So another team, you know, it's kind of like a a, a loss, but from the mid table who's recruited smartly, who's found players that maybe were a bit underrated and are um, really performing well. I think that final. We might see a little bit of a uh, like a, a 65% for 33, 35% possession in in favor of Toulouse and Toulouse trying to score early. Hopefully the uh, the Australian flag waves high with Denis Genro, who's been playing the past couple of games with Toulouse, even getting a, an assist last week, um, representing the the colors of the of the island continent. But uh, you know, not like you said, if they win the Coupe de France, maybe they get the momentum to stay in Ligue 1. If they lose it, maybe they lose it all. It's uh, it's hard for them. You as as a neutral football fan, you like to see different teams winning the the Coupe de France. So hopefully, the team who plays the best football wins. And and from this end, it looks like Toulouse right now is doing that. Well, if if, if none do get that that Coupe de win push, it, it it could be massive because their next two games in the league are huge away to Brest, at home to Strasbourg. That could pretty much decide their their league fate this season. Paris Saint-Germain's destiny looks to pick up an 11th Ligue 1 Uber Eats title, a record they would move past that, that great Saint-Étienne team of uh, the 1970s and, and early 80s who took their tally up to, up to 10, but they certainly made hard work of their win at Angers-Armel. Saw this one. In El Messi. Over the top it goes. Lovely ball. Kylian Mbappe has somehow... Not scored with his first touch, but on the swivel, he tucks it away at the second time of asking. PSG just needed one chance to take the lead. Gorgeous ball from Lionel Messi. Brilliantly timed, finding Juan Bernat, Kylian Mbappe. Missing his first attempt, uh, something of a rarity, especially from that close to goal. Managed to create the space with his second touch and put it away with his third. Kylian Mbappe's 21st league goal of the season. It's Paris ahead inside. Nine minutes of play. Balia. Well, he got round Sergio Ramos but then couldn't feed Ibrahim and Jan. And again, it's the danger of a counter. Kylian Mbappe timing his run perfectly. One-on-one with Paul Bernardoni. It's going to be two for Paris, it is. Kylian Mbappe once again. Well, Lionel Messi created the first one. Doesn't get the assist for it. 
this time he very much does. It's a, a cruel pill for Angers to swallow. They were pressing right on the edge of the Parisian penalty area in three passes. Kylian Mbappe bears down one-on-one -on -one with Paul Bernardoni. Puts away his 22nd Ligue 1 goal of the campaign. Wide for Valerie. It comes across towards the back post. Abdallah Simmer and Tube. There it is. Well, we might well have a grandstand finish yet. Vanger might not deserve a goal. I think Paris Saint-Germain might well deserve to have conceded one. Now, chaps, a 2-1 win at the Stade Raymond Copper against a, a, an Angers side whose who's bottom of the table uh, could have been mathematically relegated this this weekend. Um, somehow aren't with 14 points from 32. This was, I mean, this was a new low uh, for me in terms of, of PSG's season. They're, they're, they're limping towards the title. I mean, it, it, it does sound... It's a little bit churlish to to, to criticise the team who's who's top of the table and they've got an eight point lead with with six games to go. But Christophe Galtier um, said, and, and it's pretty much like this podcast, there was a total drop off in the second half. Um, so you know that's that's inexcusable. Now let's let's not go into the perhaps the the, the ins and outs of, of of that particular performance on on Friday, which was which was very much below par. But I think what is interesting now is that. We're pretty much all decided that PSG will win the title, barring quite remarkable end to the season, and uh, perhaps perhaps that would be that would certainly be good for the neutral. But the summer now becomes hugely important. We've got indecision and, and uncertainty around Christophe Galtier's position, and I I just sort of wrote down a little list of players who I think that PSG should could potentially let go in the summer. And it's and it's long. I'm looking at Marquinhos. I'm looking at Neymar. I'm looking at Carlos Soler, Sergio Ramos, Keylor Navas. Obviously, is is, is going to go. Marco Verratti, Renato Sanchez. If you can get him fit enough to put him in the shop window, maybe Hugo Ekitike. Of course, uh, Lionel Messi. I mean, we're looking. We're surely looking at the last six games. If he plays all of them, of Lionel Messi in in a, in a Paris Saint Germain shirt. But um, you know. Should he go? Should PSG really break the bank to try and keep Messi? Or I think I think I suspect that we've already moved that, moved past that, haven't we, Andy? And that they're yeah. they're pretty much resigned that he that he is going to go. Yeah, and I I think I think um, I, I I detect that from what's coming out of the club is that they maybe have realised that it makes sense to move on from Messi and and try and build a team. Um, Without him, and and I think it's interesting that you act, actually that you mentioned Marquinhos and Verratti there because they're kind of seen as sort of the two untouchables. I mean, the, the two players have been there the longest. Verratti arrived in 2012, and uh, Marquinhos in 2013. So they've been there each of them a decade, and at points throughout that time they've been linked with, you know, Barcelona, for example. You know, we thought that Verratti would kind of fit into the Barcelona style and, and it was seen as an obvious target for them and, and Marquinhos is linked with a move there too. Never happened. They seem so happy. Because Verratti recently signed a new contract in Paris not that long ago. So it seems unlikely he will leave and, and there's been talk, hasn't there, about Marquinhos penning a new deal as well. But I actually think that, that if you are serious about building for the future and about sort of really 
having a bit of a revolution in the playing staff to to kind of shake things up and and give you a real chance of winning the Champions League. I don't think it would be a bad idea to get rid of them, get rid of them in the nicest possible way. I mean, they've been fantastic servants to PSG. Verratti has had a lot of fitness problems, and um, you know, I mean, they're not getting any younger. That sounds ridiculous, but they're both they're both sort of heading the wrong side of thirty, and I think that does raise questions, you know, would it be would it be a bad idea to, to cut ties with them and, 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 and build the team um you know around younger players around Mbappe. But of course I'm not sure what market there is for players like Marquinhos and, and Verratti anymore. I mean they're so um I said in terms of their age that might make them less attractive than they were a few years ago. They cost an awful lot of money in in a transfer fee and, and huge money in wages. So I'm not sure that really it's realistic that they will move on. But a lot of the players around them uh, will have to depart. And it comes to the same thing. You know, you've, you've got issues of how do you persuade players who are getting paid a lot of money um, to leave when they're not going to get that same money elsewhere. You've got players who have been out on loan, some of whom are going to have to come back to Paris. They might not be able to move them on. So it's the same thing with PSG every year, really. It's like you, you want to have this, this um, you know, sort of, uh, renewal of the squad, but you can never quite do it the way you want to because you can't always get rid of the players that you want to. So I think, you know, listen, we've said it many times in this podcast that the problems at PSG run pretty deep and that's nothing new after the win at Angers at the weekend. But we are at the stage now where you kind of like, well, what's, what's the interest in this game, you know, against Angers? You know, you know they're going to win. If they win 6 or 7 nil, people are going to shrug their shoulders if they only win 2-1, people are going to shrug their shoulders. And I think they're in a, in a bit of a bind at the moment. And I, I don't think it's good for them. I don't think it's good for the league. Um, you know, and I, I think I just, I, I, I hope that PSG can really get themselves, get the house in order in the summer and, and come back fighting next season. It'll probably be the same discussion. They'll probably have a great start to next season before problems set in, because that's been the pattern over the last decade. Um, and it's been going on a long, long time. And, and you know, big changes need to happen. It's incredible we're saying this because big changes happened last year, but big changes do need to happen at PSG. Jeremy, if you can cast aside your allegiance to, to Marseille, as Christophe Galtier keeps saying he, he, he does, as, uh, for, for those who don't know, Christophe Galtier was born in Marseille and, uh, and, and played for Marseille as well. Um, if, you, if you can do that and, and, and remain impartial, which I'm sure you can, do you see PSG getting their house in order in the summer? It, it seems to me that with the coach, uh, with the Mbappe question, which we haven't even discussed this week, but we do seem to discuss on a weekly basis. Um, and all the players who should, maybe could move on and, and come in, there seems to be a lot of work to do for just one summer. Yeah, what if what if PSG, if not Kylian Saint-Germain right now, it looks like that's the only player out of that whole list that we know shouldn't be shipped off or shouldn't be transferred. There's a lot of work to do if they want to get their house in order and and somehow it, it could be not that much. If you don't have Messi anymore in the team, all of a sudden your whole football mentality changes. And now maybe the Fabian Ruiz and the Carlos Soler can find a way to actually play their football and, and build. Uh, and, and so hopefully they do do that. They need a coach that is stronger than the squad. I think it's what they've been struggling to find ever since Carlo Ancelotti left. Uh, and, and so And so trying to find a coach with that kind of charisma who will be followed by the players, whatever he asks of them, they need to remove the starification of the player. I don't know if you can do that in the way the, the club has been set up, uh, but that, they need to try and, and work around this. If you can do all this, you could even keep, you know, 
Marquinhos and, and Verratti and, and even Neymar, if, if they are in the right environment and if they are, um, you know, motivated the right way. I think it's a, it's a very complicated question because regardless, if you keep the same 11 or if you change everyone except uh, the, the captain of the club now or the vice captain, but really he's the captain, um, it, it's, it's, a, it's going to be about the president and the sporting director and the coach more than it's going to be about the, the 11 players on the field and the bench. And if you do want to change things, you haven't worked well enough in the past few years to have even a remote base to do it. I mean, Angie was saying that, you know, Marquinhos and Verratti have been here for a decade. If you had done all those changes four or five years ago, where you had those players growing up to be the leaders and to be the identity of Paris Saint-Germain, this was the moment to do it. And now the only player that is the identity is, again, Kylian Mbappé. They've tried to push the other youth and, and they are doing it very inter intermittently. They've tried to br bring some experience, but they are just getting them for a year or two and then shipping them out again. So it's, it's as we always say with Paris Saint-Germain, about having a plan and about sticking to it for, uh, for more than a season. I do believe that players like Fabian Ruiz and Carlos Soler, they just didn't, you know, they didn't leave their talent at the border when they arrived in France. They were strong where they were before. If they're given the chance, they'll be strong again. And when you play with Messi, who is one of the best players in the world, who is, what is it, 15 goals, 15 assists, no other players do that. He, he deserves to get the ball in his feet. Um, but also, if you don't have him, you're going to create new leaders uh, and new technical leaders as well. Yeah, I was speaking to a friend, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, and uh, he mentioned, uh, I, th I think, a very good point. Fabian Ruiz, he's Thiago Motta, isn't he? Surely, get the guy in front of, get the guy in front of the back, uh, the back four, and and get him, you know, breaking up play, but also also starting play. They're just just on the coach. I I can only see, I can only see Zidane. I can only see Zidane. I mean, whether he wants to go there or not is another question, but I can only see Zidane as, as, as somebody fitting, fitting the bill and uh, the, the only one who is going to be able to just walk into that dressing room and everyone, and I mean everyone, even if Messi's there, everyone is just going to be silent and hanging on his every word. I mean, he's proven that at Real Madrid, three, three successive Champions Leagues. Um, he's, he's surely the only option for PSG. And, and and maybe their most important signing of the summer, and almost certainly the most important signing of the summer, will be him, wouldn't it, Andy? Well, yeah, but I, I don't know. I don't know if Zidane's going to be coming to PSG. I mean, listen, Zidane won the Champions League, yeah, three times at Real Madrid. It, it, but you know, th there is there is a cultural thing which explains also why Real Madrid can win the Champions League three times, nor why they can win it five times in nine seasons, why they can be potentially in a position to win it again this year. It's not just about Zidane, right? It's about Zidane coming into that dressing room and working in the way that he did with those players but with that culture around him that is a club that is set up to win the Champions League. Paris Saint-Germain is not a club that is set up to win the Champions League they might think they are but clearly they're not given what we've seen in the last decade there needs to be a, you know, we're talking about really big fundamental swinging changes that need to be made to that, to that club for them to be in a position to win the Champions League does Zidane potentially put his reputation on the line to take that job Personally, I would be surprised. I mean, I understand what you're saying, that he looks like the figurehead they need, and, and you can understand why they want to go for him, but I'd be very surprised. I'd be very surprised. Um, I, I, I don't know who they turn to. I, I don't have sort of the, the answer. I think there are, there are plenty of decent names on the market, you know, the likes of Nagelsmann and Luis Enrique. Um, guys like Luis Enrique and Antonio Conte would be, you know, they're quite abrasive characters. 
they would be, I think they have the personality to handle the pressure of the job. Um, they don't have any sort of baggage by being associated with another French club or city, which is one of the problems that Galtier has had. But, I mean, it's a bit like the Chelsea job. I just think to myself, like, why would you take that job? And I think sometimes at PSG, there's an issue of why would you take the job? Because you, 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 you're probably going to win Ligue 1. If you don't win Ligue 1, then, then that's a disaster. If you do win Ligue 1, you're not going to get that much credit for it. You're only going to get credit, really, if you win the Champions League. And right now, I don't see a team that's set up to win the Champions League. Now, of course, one reason to take the job is Mbappé. And he is still there, but he might only be there for one more year. So I think a lot of these coaches, they believe in themselves enough. And if, and, and, and if they are approached, they might be tempted to take the job. But I'm, I'm not sure Zidane is going to be the man, even if, if, if PSG want him. You're listening to Andy Scott on Le Bourgeois, the official Ligue 1 podcast. You can get in touch with us via Twitter at Ligue 1 underscore ENG. And please do like, subscribe, follow and recommend us to all your family and friends on all the usual podcast platforms. Now it's time for our latest clue in the April Deja Who quiz. Remember, a Ligue 1 Uber Eats team jersey up for grabs this month. All you have to do, and I make that sound... Uh, far more simple than it is, is answer all of these uh, particularly challenging clues from our executive producer, Robbie Thompson. Send us them by email, the answers to league1podcast at gmail.com and you'll have a chance of winning the League and Uber Eats jersey. Send us the answers to uh, league1podcast at gmail.com and you'll stand a chance of winning this month's League and Uber Eats jersey. Good luck. Here's this week's clue. Who am I? I'm a cult figure of French football of the late 1990s and early noughties, known as much for my, my outrageous haircut as I was for my mercurial dribbling and spectacular goals. I'll give you a clue, it's not me. I made my Ligue 1 debut at 18 years of age and over the next 20 years at 10 French clubs and two overseas clubs. I won two Ligue 1 titles and a Coupe de la Ligue, as well as a Ligue and Cup double overseas. Like all good cult heroes, I appear in the song lyrics of a French punk band and played eight times for one of the best French national teams of all time, but never won an international trophy with Le Bleu. My career literally ended in a shootout. I think penalty shootout as opposed to literally a shootout, by which I am still haunted to this day. Who am I and where am I? If you think you know who it is and where they are, send your answers, as I mentioned before, via email to league1podcast at gmail.com. Good luck. All that's left now is to look ahead to the round 33 action. Uh, Friday kicks off Strasbourg against Lyon. We've got Lille Ajaxio on Saturday, which uh, is the uh, Remy Cabela eco, because uh, Cabela is from, from Corsica. Sunday, some huge games as well. But of course, uh, that Coupe de France final on the Saturday, meaning Lens and uh, Toulouse, Nantes and Brest don't play until midweek. Gentlemen, where are we heading, Andy? Uh, the Cup final for me, I mean, it's it's obviously a huge occasion. It's going to be fantastic to see a sea of yellow in the stands, the Nantes fans like last year. And of course, fantastic to see Toulouse in a Cup final as well. Um, really looking forward to that one and it's just up the road for me so 
I'll be there on Saturday, and and then if if I can manage the trip to to Brittany on Wednesday, that would be that would be quite a game to go to because Brest against Nantes is is looking like the the ultimate relegation six pointer. That's going to be a terrific game, and and as we said, with a bit of fear for Nantes, um, I think there's probably going to be a little bit less pressure on Brest because as as a club, you know, you might argue that they they would expect to be down where they are. They've given themselves a chance of staying up, and and Nantes in the meantime, you know, definitely shouldn't be where they are. So. That is a game to go to at the old school Stade Francis Lublay, right out on the western edge of, of the country. Um, and that, that will be my sort of double header of French football over the next 10 days. Jeremy, I'm assuming the Stade Velodrome on, on Sunday and, and, and what looks like an, an easy game against a, a struggling Auxerre side for Igor Tudor's side. N- nothing more worrying than what looks like an easy game for a, for a Marseille fan against, <laughs> against an Auxerre team who, who knows how to. How to uh, play football against the be- the best teams in the past few weeks uh or very honestly as as a Marseille fan that's going to be the the one game that is going to be hard for me to apprehend because I know that Marseille is so good against teams that are supposedly better uh, and then really drop down when they play against teams supposedly uh not playing as well the one positive is that Auxerre they do need to get a result so they do need to uh, actually get out of their own zone and, and try and score goals and hopefully Marseille can then um play in counter-attack and, and do something well. But yeah, I'll be, I'll be definitely uh, at the Velodrome. It's just about trying to, uh, trying to keep all my nails during 90 minutes for that game. Well, the hair's gone already, mate. So uh, this is, you, know, you, might as well, you might as well add in the nails as well. We, but we know, we know how you feel. It's a, it's, a, it's a common feeling for all football fans, football fans everywhere. Well, that wraps up this week's Le Beau Jeu. You can get in touch with us on uh, League One Podcast at gmail.com. Old school email for you uh, old school people like me. Video highlights, of course, of every League and game available on the official website in English, league1.com. And uh, please do like, subscribe and follow and recommend us on all the usual podcast platforms. The Bolshev will be back next week to talk everything French football, the uh, European qualification race, which is really hotting up. And of course, that relegation uh, four-way race for that last remaining place. There'll be another Deja Who quiz with our April Mystery League and Uber Eats jersey up for grabs. All that and more on the official League and Uber Eats podcast in English. Le Bourgeois. See you then.